This is Think It Through with me, April A. Bear. Get ready to start thinking. I know, it's hard, and you'd probably rather not. But here we go anyway. Hi, and welcome to episode 13 of Think It Through. In episode 12, I talked about a fallacy called the misplaced burden of proof. That occurs when someone tells you to do your own research or look it up yourself instead of providing the appropriate evidence for their claim. That fallacy notwithstanding, as a general rule, you should definitely do research and look things up. That's a critical part of critical thinking, and it is the focus of this episode. I'm going to share with you an interview I did recently with Celestia Ward, one of the hosts of the Squaring the Strange podcast. On their website, which I'll link to in the show notes, they describe it as follows. Squaring the Strange brings evidence-based analysis and commentary to a wide variety of topics, ranging from the paranormal to the political, investigating ghosts, debunking conspiracies, dodging chupacabras. If a claim seems strange, Ben, Celestia, and Pasquale will try to square it with the facts. In our interview, Celestia and I talk about a lot of things, like how she ended up hosting such a fascinating podcast with equally fascinating co-hosts, but our main focus is on looking at research from a skeptical perspective. What do I mean when I use the word skeptical in this context? Well, there are a couple of different definitions of the word skeptic, so it's good to know which one we're using here. For instance, one meaning of the word, and it's the one many people are familiar with, is someone who has serious doubts, reservations, or is mistrustful or disbelieving. You might know someone who, let's say, doesn't believe in climate change, and they call themselves a climate change skeptic. Well, sure, they qualify as a skeptic according to that definition. But that's not the way in which Celestia and I are using the word here. The word skeptic is derived from the Greek skepsis, which means inquiry. A skeptic in this sense is not one who's automatically doubtful or disbelieving, but one who is willing to suspend judgment in the service of inquiry which is the seeking out of information, the investigation required to come to a true understanding or to solve a problem. So a true skeptic must, by definition, have good research skills in order to find the best, most accurate, and reliable information. Without further ado, let's listen to my interview with Celestia Ward. I'll be back later with some final thoughts. Well, hello, Celestia Ward, and welcome to Think It Through. I am so pleased to have you on my podcast today. But first, I want to talk a little bit about your podcast, because honestly, I am such a big fan of uh, Squaring the Strange, which is a great title. You have to tell me how you came up with that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, well, I'm just pleased as punch to be on a female-led skeptical podcast. Uh, we were talking before uh, recording here that uh, there there are uh, there has it's been a male-dominated field for quite a while and it's nice to get ladies involved in the outreach of skeptical thought and critical thinking, you know. It 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 helps every little bit. <laughs> well, I am thrilled to, you know, to be doing this and honestly, I've started doing it as uh, part of my sabbatical. 
And then I, I enjoyed it so much that I thought, I'll just keep doing it. So here yeah, I am. That's, that's how they get you. That's the, the <laughs> You, you've been bitten by the bug. Yeah. I have. I have. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you like the title uh, of our podcast. I, I will brag a little bit and say that I came up with it. Originally, I was just kind of a, a consultant figure in the background for Squaring the Strange because it was the main the main guys were Ben Radford and Pasquale Romero. And I, I was around at that point in time. And Ben said, hey, you listen to more podcasts than anybody I know can you sit in on this meeting? And I said, sure. Is there going to be, there's free pizza. Okay. I'm in. <laughs> so, so we sat down and we just brainstormed for like two hours. And when it came to the names, we were going round and round and round with all the skeptical, you know how you do a brainstorming bubble sheet. Okay. And I've always liked the phrase squaring the circle, which has a rich history in crank math and in ancient Greek thought and geometry and trigonometry. And we look at strange subjects. So we try to square the strange. I mean, you really talk about the most interesting subjects of them <laughs> are so esoteric that I have never even heard of them. And uh, others are, well, I don't think you could call them mainstream necessarily, but more generally, no. Yeah, well, we the tagline is from the mysterious to the mundane. Yeah. So it, it, it might be a strange lizard creature that's attacking cars uh, in, in middle America in the 1980s, or it might be statistics and how people misunderstand large numbers. You know, it runs the gambit, but we, wow, we, we, that's great. So, so basically what do you do? Like, just give me a little bit of a rundown about what the podcast is about. Uh, we, you know, we try to cover a cryptid, uh, at least once every month or so. It's a bi-weekly podcast. We used to do weekly, but that just with our regular lives, hard. it's hard. And we do try to put a lot of thought and effort into each episode. It's not just a, hey, it's four guys talking about pop culture. <laughs> you know, it's not just a quick, you know, uh, off the cuff thing. We we do research and we do bring things to the table and have meetings about what we're going to uh, cover. And so once every two weeks, we put out an episode and we try to make about a third of our content uh, cryptids or strange things like we've covered um, mysterious statues that come to life in folklore and, and mythology. And we've covered we, we've actually done several Bigfoot episodes because there's so much. Oh, my God, there's so much. There's Bigfoot in pop culture. There's uh, there's, you know, Sasquatch, you know, hunting as as a cultural phenomenon. There's <laughs> there's a lot you can go into. Uh, with various angles of Bigfoot and the Skookum cast. And, we, you know, we've, we've been lucky to have a lot of really, I don't want to say peculiar, but very specialized experts uh, in the field of, of cryptozoology. So I'm so curious about how you ended up there. Like, how did you become interested in in the kinds of things that you're talking about on this podcast? Well, well, you'll relate to this. Uh, we're, we're, we're both women of a certain age. Uh, and I, I was glued to Leonard Nimoy talking about weird things on In Search Of oh, right. back in the day. Yes. Yeah. And that's incredible whether or not ESP was real. And back in the 1980s, it's like we didn't have the Internet. We, you know, we I'd check out books on the Bermuda Triangle and wonder what one on earth was causing all these ships to go down in this strange part of the ocean. And and, and you know, you, you basically were limited to what you could see on broadcast TV, which was like three channels or you had, uh, you know, the library and the Dewey Decimal System and paper books. 
And so I, and that was the stuff that interested me. And then I, as I got a little bit older, uh, I certainly got into other weird stuff. And one of the weird things I got into was Penn and Teller. And you are a local Las Vegan. You yeah. know who Penn and Teller are. And they I have, are I have been to, uh, was it Penn's house? Whatever. It was a huge the house. Slammer? Yes. yes. Penn and Teller have done wonderful things for skepticism. Their series, uh, am I allowed to curse on your show? Sure. Okay. Their, their series, Bullshit. <laughs> for Showtime some years ago, uh, remains a, a very good thing to have in your DVD collection. Although there were, you know, like any endeavor, there are a few mistakes in, in the bullshit series, but, uh, and you can go online and find them. Their skeptics are like, Penn said this, but actually blah, blah, blah. And that's the wonderful thing about skepticism. People try to self-correct. Right. I would love it. You know, if I say something wrong, I would hope that one of my listeners would tell me and I'd be glad to, uh, fix it you know yes yeah so how did you uh, the whole debunking skepticism critical thinking part what is your background in that I'm very curious well uh one of the first books I owned by Penn and Teller spoke very highly of James Randi and so that's how I learned who James Randi was and then I was lucky enough to go to some of the amazing meetings did you ever go to any of those I never did um and what by the time I could go they stopped having them yes yeah the last one was in 2015 I got to go to like four of them before they ended and it was a big skeptical conference put on by the JRF, the James Randi Educational Foundation here in Las Vegas. And it would bring together something like 1,500 skeptics and they'd have workshops and keynote speeches and and just it, it was it was like a whole bunch of critical thinking college level stuff just crammed into four days. I and, loved it. <laughs> yes. And interspersed with alcohol and parties, you know, it was, yes, it was nice. And so I did make a lot of contacts from that. And I just learned about a lot. And and the thing about the skeptical movement, if you want to call it that, is everybody has got a skill that you can bring to the table. I, I am a cartoonist. I started drawing things for people and Skeptical Inquirer has published several of my, my cartoons in various forms, uh, sometimes just as thumbnails, sometimes as a whole backsplash thing. Uh, and I've written a couple columns for Skeptical Inquirer now. And of course, doing the weekly, the bi-weekly, I'm sorry, uh, Squaring the Strange with Ben and Pasquale has been, uh, it's been a whole skeptical education. And you, you know, you learn as you go, you'll learn from other skeptics. Did you meet Ben and Pasquale through um, the amazing meetings? Well, Ben and I have a really interesting meetup story. I had heard his name before I had read articles by him because he's very prolific. He writes a ton of stuff. He's got like a dozen books and uh, like thousands of articles that he's written. And I was at a a caricature convention because my I earned my main living as a car- at least I did until 2020. I earned my main living as a caricature artist. And Ben happens to be a like a super fan of caricature he he collects them he loves them and he found out there was a national convention for caricatures and he went to it and i saw his name on his you know and it's a small group it's like there's like 150 of us that show up to these things and nobody has ever really come to these as a spectator but ben did and so he he noticed a piece that i had done of james randy i did a little caricature sculpture of james randy fully expecting that maybe two people would know who it was Ben was one of those two people. And he said, that's James Randi. And I said, yeah, do you know who that is? And he goes, yeah, he's a friend of mine. <laughs> so I looked at his name tag. I said, holy crap, you're Ben Radford. What are you doing here? 
So, so for the rest of that convention, we started talking about who we knew in common. And of course, he's good friends with somebody who I'm good friends with. And, you know, we, we're all in the same circles, just on the periphery. And then things worked from there. He happened to need an illustration done for one of his books. And so we kept in touch that way. And eventually I ended up doing a podcast with him. <laughs> That's an amazing story. Did uh, did Randy ever see the the uh, caricature you did of him? Yes, he autographed it. Uh, he autographed it and it, it was auctioned off for a fundraising lunch uh, for the, or dinner for Skeptic's Guide to the Universe during one of the one of the uh, one of the recurring activities at the amazing meeting was SGU the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe one of my favorite podcasts I've been listening for years and years and years they have a fundraising dinner and so for you know seventy five dollars or whatever you get in you have dinner and you get to shake the hand of you know the hosts and everything and uh, you can donate things or participate in a an auction and so I donated the Randy sculpture he happily signed it and was very complimentary. And, you know, I got a chance to talk to James Randi on the phone uh, for some editing that I that I offered to do. Uh, that's my other job. I'm an editor. And he happily, when he saw me on, because we were talking via Skype, this is back before Zoom was the thing, it was all Skype. And he picked up some photo albums. He goes, before we get started, I wanted to show you. And he opens up these photo albums and he has kept every cartoon that has ever been sent to him by fans. Wow. So he had all these caricatures and I recognized a couple from that my friends had drawn because I do know some other skeptical cartoonists and that was just really nice. And he just lit up and he really got a kick out of and it wasn't a vanity thing. People who are vain don't hold on to caricatures of themselves. But Randy really appreciated the humor and the the whimsy and all the all the cartoons. Yeah, he was he was a great man. And it's uh, very sad that you know he passed away recently. And, and yeah. I think that every uh, every single skeptical podcast did like an entire episode of uh, of how awesome he was, you know, so. Yeah, he, he launched a thousand ships, that yeah. man. Yes, he did. So the reason I called you here today. <laughs> <laughs> now that we've been chatting, see, see uh, banter, podcasting is all about banter, yes. I would like to ask you about the kind of research that you do. I mean, in my last episode, I, I talk about the fallacy of the misplaced burden of proof. And uh, one of the things that people often say when you ask for evidence is look it up yourself or do your own research, which depending on the circumstances can actually make it a fallacy. Oh, by the way, that's episode 12. This is episode 13, which I... Ah, lucky never. (laughs) I'm wearing my 13 shirt. Awesome. I'm turning around to show her on Zoom that I've got the number 13 emblazoned on the back of my shirt. Very serendipitous. (laughs) Yes. And serendipity is a whole other conspiracy theory we could go down. <laughs> so yes. I really wanted to approach research from your point of view. You know, how would you approach research on something that, well, like a folktale or a you know a story, some kind of narrative that is out there in the world that a lot of people believe and you want to get to the bottom of it, you know, and see like where it came from and why people believe it. And well, that that's a that's a big, broad topic. And you could listen to every one of our episodes and, and get multiple answers for days and days on that. Um, but when I run into somebody on which, as we all do often, who says, well, blah, 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 Fauci has created COVID, blah, blah, blah. Do your research. You know, I, I, I'm tempted and sometimes I do to just say, when you tell me to do my research, do you mean watch the specific 
five minute YouTube video that you just did? Or I mean, do you have degrees in epidemiology? <laughs> there's there's this type of folksy, yeah, grassroots, totally democratized research that people cling to. Now I can do my research because I have a computer. Right. And 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 by all means, cranks are nothing new. There have been cranks for centuries before the internet. But now cranks have this this huge cherry orchard that they can pick whatever they want from. And when I go out into that same cherry orchard, I try to be extremely aware of the fact that I'm a human being and all human beings have biases and faulty thinking. And we have to constantly, constantly be on the guard for our own selves uh, to make sure, you know, a lot of what we talk about on my podcast is just the uh, the constant self-policing of making sure that you are going down the right track when you're researching, you're not falling for something that's uh, overblown or outrage fuel. Or um, uh, we just we just talked to a folklorist. Actually, I'll bring this up. This is a good rule of thumb thing. Um, we just talked to a folklorist named uh, Jeannie Thomas. She's out of the, uh, the University of of Utah, and uh, she she has this thing she calls the slap test for misinformation. S L A P. If it is S, scary, L, the logistics don't really seem kosher. You, you can kind of think, you know, sometimes if sometimes something's outrageous, you just run with it, you forward it before you really examine the logistics. Like, does Vladimir Putin really own 500 lions that he can release into the streets of Moscow? Is that a thing? <laughs> that, that was just one of the memes that Jeannie brought up as an example. <laughs> In Russia, they were going to release lions to make sure people stayed in quarantine. And and yeah, if you think about the logistics, okay, how much money does it cost to upkeep a lion? Five, times that by 500. Really? Is there is there a place that has 500 lions just ready to go? So logistics, that, that's a very hyperbolic example. But so, so if it seems unlikely, it's probably unlikely. Basically. Well, yes, but logistics, you know, specifically, you know, and, and one other one that pops up is this meme that says, well, we're very lucky because if the earth was 10 feet closer to the sun or 10 feet farther away, life couldn't exist. And the logistics on that don't pan out because, well, we have seasons and the earth is constantly moving closer and farther away from the sun. So, no, that's that's bullcrap. Um, so we have the S and the L, scare is it scary? And is it, does it work out with the logistics? The, the A stands for A-list people or things. And A-list meaning a celebrity or a, a really big company. Of course, I'm thinking Bill Gates, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon. Oftentimes, urban legends and false information goes around about celebrities or big-time companies. So if you see something float across your Facebook that's like, you know, Bill Gates is squeezing adrenochrome out of, you know, the babies, uh, the babies of the world. And uh, he's drinking their blood. That has all three. <laughs> That's right there, scary. Yeah. The logistics don't work out because people tend to notice when a bunch of babies go missing and A-list person. And the last P, I think, is one of the most important ones is, is it prejudiced against a group of people? Is it trying to other a group of people? And uh, and I, I yeah, I feel like I'm just parroting back what I've heard from from Jeannie Thomas, but I found it a very useful just shorthand for uh, what to look for, because so many so many memes and misinformation. I mean, my God, with the recent, you know, four years we've seen with uh, people getting riled up with QAnon and uh, worried about caravans of, you know, filthy, dirty immigrants coming to the border to infect us with diseases so many of these 
urban legends are just tropes that have been recycled over and over and over again to make us fear other people. Oh yeah, the blood libel and all yes. the yeah. stuff is just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. The Jewish space lasers. <laughs> I think that would be kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, so when you come across information and that that doesn't count as research. Uh, we did a whole episode on research techniques and uh, what we do. And it's it's early on. It's like, I think our first, I don't want to say season. It was our first year. I need to clean up the backlog and make sure all the season numbers are disappeared. So it's all just one big list. But research is never, watching a documentary is not research. It's entertainment. So uh, documentaries are biased things that are created by human beings that have a viewpoint. Um, so are, you know, BuzzFeed articles and all sorts of other stuff. However, they can point you in the direction of something. If often, if you read this, you know, trumped up headline about like, uh, just recently we, 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 we did, a sh we, we mentioned uh, one on really lousy polls and often journalists, again, right now, journalism is being squeezed. You got one journalist doing the job of like five people. Now they do not have the fact checkers they used to, and they are being squeezed by editors and content platforms to pump out a bunch of stuff just in the name of clicks. So it's unfortunate, but that's the reality that we have to deal with. Journalists will grab these polls and be like, ah, this can make an outraged, outrageous headline. And the poll was like a third of Americans don't believe that 6 million Jews died in the Holocaust. And that sounds outrageous. That sounds horrible. That sounds like, oh my God, we're failing as a country. If you actually look at the poll numbers, that's not true. It makes it sound like a third of us are Holocaust deniers. Uh, when in actuality, the poll showed that like 1% fit into that denier category. The other grouping of that one third, it was a multiple choice thing. So some people chose 5 million because they didn't remember the number. Some people said, I'm not sure. Honestly, if I took that quiz, I would say I'm not sure because scholars even, you know, are disagreeing about what the exact number is. Right. And some people said 10 million. Isn't it that way the headline is written or, you know, yes. that, that pulls you in. And a lot of people don't even read the article. They just look at the headline and go, oh, my God, and, you know, share it on social oh. Yeah, I'm sure you've had the experience where you're having some sort of online discussion with somebody and they say, well, yeah, well, blah, 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 look at this. And they 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 link a story based on the headline and you read it and you're like, have you read that? Because it completely disagrees with what you're saying. It's actually saying what I'm saying. Right. But you put it up there because the headline sounds scary and you thought it agreed with you. So it, there's a lot of self-owning that goes on when that happens. There's an, another thing that uh, kind of bothers me. I I mean, I do research and I, I hope it's legitimate, but I think that there are a lot of people out there who, when they try to research, they have, you know, they're curious, they want to find out the truth about something, they type it into whatever, Google, and the first thing that comes up, you know, they'll read that and then they'll just kind of go down because the algorithms of like YouTube, once you watch something, it's like, oh, you like that. So let me give you more of that. Same thing with Google. Google knows you. <laughs> you know? So you keep typing stuff into Google and it's going to keep feeding you that same you know, you're not going to get different viewpoints. So a lot of the times the sources, you think you're finding good sources and they're all echoing the same viewpoint. So maybe like, how could we find different viewpoints? Well, it's difficult as a lay person, as somebody who's not in the field, a lot of this is about trust. And I think when you, when you talk to conspiracy theorists, they've completely lost 
any ability to trust any sort of expertise, except of course for their own and for you know their particular favorite YouTube channel. Right. But really, we're we're you know we still have the same resources available to us that we did 30 years ago before the internet. You can call a reference librarian. You can call the university. Uh, you can speak to. Uh, uh, you can you can reach out via email or Twitter these days to somebody who has a PhD in that field. And you can you can get really experienced opinions on things that and and they'll tell you nuances of a particular subject that you wouldn't have even thought to look for or to type into Google. So number one, always seek out expertise where you can and recognize it as expertise. Don't don't be so full of yourself that you're like, well, I read an article by some journalist who was reading an abstract of a study that he didn't understand. And so I get this topic. I understand it. No, maybe you don't. <laughs> so, so and, and learning some bases. Now, there are some things you can do as a non-PhD scientist uh, in terms of learning about research design. You know, know what know what p-value is. Know what uh, know what statistical uh, deviations are. Know what sigma means. Uh, know how to look at a study and say. Okay, this is a preliminary study and it shows it shows maybe we should look into this, you know, but because one person in this 12 person preliminary study developed hives or whatever, it doesn't mean anything until you get a bigger controlled study and you do it double blind and understand what double blinding is. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, there are books you can get on on uh, research design and experiment design that will that will educate you in a weekend if you want to really get a handle on being able to read these studies or at least the summaries of these studies and have a better idea what you're looking at rather than ah oh, blargy blarg 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 vaccines are evil and blah you know <laughs> which you can find that anywhere these days. I'm a big fan of the abstract. <laughs> yes, <laughs> go straight to the abstract. What do well, you often mean? and. And often, again, often these days, if you want to see the whole study, if you have the ability to read through a 35-page study on something on exactly how things were done, uh, you can you can tweet the professor. You can, you know, and there's sometimes you can go right to the place that published it uh, and, and get a copy for $35, but often you can avoid that $35 fee by getting in touch with the PhD candidate and they're happy to send you a copy of their thesis. <laughs> like, they're more than happy. Reading it. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So in other words, realize that you're going to have some blinders on too. And the scientific method tries to sort of peel away those blinders and let it, you know, understand statistics so that, you know, and these are these are not easy things that you can do overnight, but you know, you can you can chip away at your own ignorance bit by bit and always be open to that. Not so open-minded that your brain falls out. That, that's James my Randy favorite say. saying. That is my favorite saying. I say that to my students all the time. <laughs> Yes. Uh, awesome. Well, um, do you have any, I don't know, any last words about research and uh, trusting in in science and in experts, that kind of thing? Uh, well, you know, a, a lot of the a lot of the research. Now ben, ben is the guy who does a lot of the heavy lifting for research on our podcast. Uh, I look into all sorts of angles so I can try and bring some color commentary to whatever it is we're talking about and and new voices that may have been buried in an article somewhere about a particular thing. And we have to consider also media literacy. Yes. In addition to scientific literacy, because everybody is seeing the world through a media lens. And again, you don't want to go so far where you're like, 
you, you got this spectrum of people who trust everything versus people who trust nothing. And you don't want to be on either extreme of that. Um, if you look at the the outlets that pay their that pay their journalists and have won awards and have a really good reputation, like the the New York Times will not publish a story immediately. They want to fact check it. The the Washington Post, there's you know there's the really big name newspapers are not going to risk huge lawsuits and huge drops in their reputation by running with something. And the Associated Press, if it goes, it's out on the AP wire. Um, the Associated Press is more trustworthy than random stuff that floats through. Uh, ben has something that he constantly brings up. He said, remember that in the wake of some late breaking story, a lot of it's going to be wrong. When when there's a mass shooting someplace, that first 24 hours, every news channel everywhere is scrambling to get details out and a lot of it's going to be wrong. You remember the the shooting here in Las Vegas. Oh, there's two shooters. There's two shooters. We heard all these different rumors and it took a while before all the details shook out and it's like, "No, here's here's the guy who did it. It was just one guy. He was in this hotel room. This is how and this is where he's from." I think a lot of conspiracy theories come out of that that in, initial, you know, when something yeah. happens and people are trying to get the the real story. And all that stuff that comes out can be pulled back later and go, well, see, that's what happened, you know? When- yeah, well, it, it, it's it, it's also people have access to police scanners now. And I remember after that, after that initial thing, people were, you know, uh, listening to police scanners and hearing, oh, I, I'm hearing reports of a second shooter. And reports of a second shooter don't mean a second, a second shooter. Right. Reports uh, and uh, yeah, buzzwords. You, you got to, again, this is part of media literacy. You've got to understand what words mean. And again, my work as an editor, I'm very, very keen on the precision of word use. Uh, when a news outlet said, we are getting reports of blah, 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 they're shielding themselves from saying there is a second shooter. They're saying we're hearing reports of a second shooter. That doesn't mean that there is one. That just means they're hearing people say it. And well, these days will I'm here, we'll only hear a second shooter. And then they think yes. there was one, you know. So. Yes. And then then, you know, months later, you got these, you know, acoustics ex- experts talking about how sound ricochets when you've got multiple tall buildings. And that's why some people heard what they thought was a second shooter. When it, and yeah, you can go into all that. And then but the initial idea of just listen to what the words mean and understand that they're phrased a certain way for a certain reason. I can tie this into another skeptical thing, which is boosting your immune system or uh, increasing your wellness. These are weasel words. They mean nothing. If you buy a homeopathic product, it's water. You're paying for nothing. You're not getting medicine. You're getting something that's going to boost your immune system. You know what else will boost your immune system? Legally speaking, a package of M&Ms will boost your immune system because it has calories and that helps your body live. And so anything that has any caloric content, whether or not it's sugar or a candy bar or, or a potato, will boost your immune system and they can put that on the label and sell it. But they well, can't say, potato, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but they can't say it's shown in clinical trials to reduce the number of colds you get in a year. They can't say that. They can say it boosts your immune system. So that's what they put on the label. They can say uh, improves your wellness, gives you energy. Again, any anything that has a calorie in it will give you energy. So, so understanding what words mean and how marketers are trying to push stuff and trying to not get sued. So peel away what the words mean and uh, be be a more aware consumer and a more aware researcher 
when you look at news stories. Well, thank you so much, Celestia Ward. Uh, that was such great information. And uh, I have to say that if people don't want to get sucked down the rabbit hole of uh, misinformation, they should probably listen to Squaring the Strange. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Also, we we also look into just weird things just for the love of weird. <laughs> You'll be entertained and educated at the same time. Yes. Uh, one last recommendation is if, if anybody is down the rabbit hole of misinformation or they have a loved one that is down the hole of mis, uh, of misinformation, I highly recommend Mick West's book, uh, Escaping the Rabbit Hole. Um, how, how to, oh, I, the subtitle, I'm going to mess up on the subtitle, but it's, it's, you know, helping people escape from conspiracies using uh, uh, respect and, and logic. And it's it, it gives some good examples of people who have come out the other side from being fully enveloped in conspiracy theories and chemtrails and all sorts of stuff. And they've gotten out the other side of it and they're skeptics now. Wow. It's just it's just a process of reattuning your bullshit detectors so that they're not in overdrive and they can rely on actual statistics and actual scientific method. And anyway, I didn't mean to go on and on and on about Mick West, but but uh, a really good book. Hey, well, I could I could talk to you all day about this stuff. Um, and I might talk to you at some other point. Uh, anyway, again, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. All right. Take care. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did, and that you take the opportunity to listen to Squaring the Strange. And for those of you who don't know much about James Randi, I'll link to an article about him in the show notes. He really was the amazing Randi, his stage name in his early career as a magician. The story of his journey from magician to skeptic icon is so inspiring. And he inspired so many other people, including Penn and Teller. I'll link to an article about their TV show, Bullshit, in the show notes, and you should definitely check it out. Celestia mentioned the concept of self-policing when it comes to research and recognizing our own biases. As good critical thinkers, we have to continue to realize that we are fallible, and that can impact our ability to see what truly is. And I really like the slap testing method espoused by folklorist Jeannie Thomas to determine if some story or claim is based in fact or not. If something is S scary, L logistically unlikely, A blames some A-list person, product, corporation, or event, and P shows prejudice against some group of people like immigrants or minorities, then you really need to be skeptical about the truthfulness of that claim. I did a little research into Thomas's work and found a video of a very recent talk she gave that goes into great detail about this method, and I'll link to it in the show notes so you can watch it. She also explains what does and does not qualify as research. For example, simply spending time on the internet isn't research. Sharing stories that you find with your friends on social media is not research. Reading only a few sources or sources with questionable reputations is not research. 
To combat our natural inclination to be pulled in by compelling, scary stories or conspiracy theories that we run across in our news feeds, she recommends some credible sites such as leadstories.com or factcheck.org, where you can quickly check out stories to see if they have any basis in fact. Celestia is a big fan of going to the primary source of information, like reading entire research articles or contacting the author of a research study. And, like me, she puts her trust in extremely credible and long-standing sources, like the New York Times, Washington Post, and the Associated Press. She acknowledges that in the middle of late-breaking stories, lots of incorrect information can come out, and that it takes time and patience for the whole story to be revealed. And her words of support for Mick West's book, Escaping the Rabbit Hole, are very applicable in the times in which we live. I really like his advice to treat people who are locked into conspiracy thinking with respect, and to, as he says, always be kind. Shutting people out doesn't solve anything. Staying engaged with them is far more likely to help them eventually see what's going on while keeping your relationship with them intact. Oh, one final thing. Celestia mentioned that she's a cartoonist and caricature artist by trade, and she's honestly great. I'll link to the website for Two Head Studio in the show notes if you're interested in getting a caricature of yourself or someone you love. I think it'd make a great present. And with that, we've come to the end of another episode. I hope you use the information you've heard here to help you think it through.